Please be seated. It is ideal if on the day of our parish meeting, when among other things we reflect on the state of our community, it's ideal if there's some connection between what I said in Ellis Hall and what I get to say in here. And today I'm grateful it's not a stretch to connect the two. In our parish meeting, thank you for those of you who came, I was very gently pointing towards some trends in church and society which will require new ways of imagining, new ways of thinking about ministry in years to come. And our scriptures uh, today also cry out for some kind of new reading, uh, moving away from a kind of tribal, primitive Christianity that's us against you, purity religion, can easily lapse into anti-Semitism, and instead find a way to, to hear a generous, creative spirituality around what some have begun to call the cosmic Christ as opposed to Jesus of Nazareth. A few years ago, I was the only Episcopalian in a group of about 20 uh, clergy, and there were no Roman Catholics in the group. And our leader, expecting rather smugly an answer of no one, said, who here would consider themselves Catholic? And I put my hand up, which was not what he had in mind. He wanted to know if any of considers ourselves Roman Catholic. And I explained that we are uh, both Catholic and Reformed. And while there are Anglicans who would disagree with just about everything I might say, we generally locate our Catholicity in relationship before doctrine, as opposed to the official positions of our Roman brethren and sistren, uh, where admission to the community, at least in theory, involves assent, intellectual assent to doctrine as the basis for relationship. Now, I've been introduced recently to the work of a, a very helpful work of a Roman Franciscan sister called Ilia Delio, whose theology is concerned with the intersection of science and religion. Her most recent book is called Making All Things New, Catholicity, Cosmology, Consciousness. Real page-turning stuff. Uh, actually, it, for me it is. It's candy. I love it, but, but uh, it's, it's, it's dense. And in it, she really... Uh, expands my understanding of Catholicity. Uh, I've often thought of it as Catholicity as simply universal, but she wants to talk about it as cosmic. She, she talks about how cat, the Greek, comes from according to, kata and holos, whole, uh, according to the whole or a sense of the whole. And she makes the case that the whole is not a static given, but rather flows in some sense from consciousness. She makes the case that the Greeks understood Catholicity as human consciousness of the wider cosmos, and that Christians appropriated Catholicity initially as a consciousness of the whole centered in Christ. Now, this is radical stuff because it means that we understand salvation not as something by which we flee to God from our humanity. We flee from our sin to salvation, for example, expecting God to forgive us and make everything all right, that it's not a mechanical kind of uh, problem and solution but rather salvation is about sharing in God's likeness. And you start reading the epistles of Paul and listen to how much he talks about being in Christ. In God's likeness through attentiveness to the Spirit. And the Spirit is the Spirit of healing and wholeness and forgiveness and grace and wonder and creativity and everything else. Elia Delio understands, for example, early church theologian Irenaeus saying, in effect, when we are inwardly whole, we can attend to the cosmos in all its beauty. And she deplores a later move from Catholicity as cosmological to Catholicity as universal. I thought, what's the problem with universal? I've said that all my life. She said, well, and she says, universal means 
its origins, its derivation is turning as one. And so it comes about, about being as one. It comes quickly to being about conformity. It comes to being about orthodoxy with all its attending evils of power and conformity and inquisition and what have you. She wants to talk about uh, Catholicity as cosmological and not simply universal for that reason. Now, I find that liberating stuff. It allows for a recovery of a kind of spirituality that's been lost or at least muted during the age of Christendom, an age widely recognized to be coming to an end, if not completely over. It's what the spiritual but not religious types want if they can overcome their prejudices about religion long enough to recognize the extraordinary uh, beauty of the baby that is in the religious bathwater. It also means that we can hear the Gospel of John and its relatives in the epistles and the Revelation in new and renewing ways. Our passage from Revelation today becomes a vision, not so much of dualism, of heaven and earth, but of humanity finding its place once more in the cosmos and turning toward the love that is the relation at the heart of the universe. Maybe the ordeal through which we come is the ordeal of violence and bloodshed, the creation of victim after victim after victim, which we do so easily and readily in this world. Revelation becomes the vision of a new humanity begun in the new creation, which is marked and inaugurated in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so that blood of the sacrificial lamb is now cleansing. It says something about how even victimhood is redeemed. In the gospel on this Good Shepherd Sunday, we can hear Jesus gathering his sheep When you think about sheep, they were raised at least as much for sacrifice as for sustenance. But the good shepherd in this broken world lays down his own life for the sheep, unveiling those mechanisms of violence and victimization and scapegoating in this world and makes possible our living toward the vision of a new, a radically new world. That ghastly story of Abraham and Isaac, which was understood to end human sacrifice, the story of Jesus is meant to end all of those ways in which we try and deal with our problems by creating victims. And so as we we look toward the future, we can expect to be affected by this reality, this quantum world that we live in, this this new science, the, 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 the world of the cosmos. We can expect our worship to reflect that imaginative world, first postulated by Einstein. I don't know what it will look like, but we know that What we're doing here doesn't connect with a lot of people because we're still, in a way, our liturgy is still structured for an older world. Maybe our Roman vestments, I mean, essentially there's a white job with Roman underwear, or the, the, the remains of empire will either have to be radically re-understood or they'll probably go away. I don't think the creeds born of fourth century philosophical and political debate will be required for too much longer. They're valuable, But they're not necessarily, when we make an affirmation of trust in God revealed in the story, they're not terribly satisfactory. I mean, it's an outline of the story from philosophical and political debate of centuries ago. What would we do instead? We're already hearing confessions that are much less about our individual peccadilloes uh, in some of the enriching our language, uh, expansive language liturgies that are being created. Worship is going to shift. In time, our religious or spiritual imaginations will begin to move into right relation with the scientific understandings of the cosmos that are already shaping our world. Our world is radically changed by this stuff. We have cell phones, you know. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. And our ethics are going to be shaped as well. 
Our ethics are going to be shaped as well from purity and over-againstness and self-righteousness. I've been reading Just Mercy by a man called Brian Stevenson. Some of you may have heard him. You can find him on YouTube. He founded something called in Montgomery called the Equal Justice Initiative. And for, for a couple of decades, has been helping poor people get off death row by re-examining, somewhat like the Innocence Project. They're probably related in some way. But what he's up to now is attempting to get a memorial everywhere there was a lynching. And rather after the model of, of if you go through Europe, you'll find places where Jews were abducted from their homes and taken to the camps during World War II. He wants that kind of powerful reminder. It's not about getting rid of shameful history. It's about sort of naming it so that we can be uh, more creatively together as we look towards a vision of the future. And so, for example, take a symbol like the Confederate flag. It's not about getting rid of that or names on buildings as much as it is making sure they are interpreted and remembered and named for what they for, for what we perceive them to be in our time and age, rather than saying we can get pure by getting rid of this stuff. Our ethics are going to be shaped uh, as well as we move toward, to use the language of Elia Delio, toward a cosmic consciousness in which we really know ourselves related and not to a kind of purity religion or unity understood as conformity. You see, brothers and sisters, this world is already here. And science sounds more like spirituality than theology does and doctrine does to me. I will not be geographically alongside you as we live into this imaginative universe, but I'll be doing it along with you. Clearly, I'm not fully there myself. I don't fully live there myself. But I know that our liturgy and our ethics and our politics and our mission will be shaped in ways yet to unfold. And that means change. And of course, there will be reaction to such change for those who are so deeply committed to the religion that we've inherited and the religious imagination. It's so powerful that we've got brothers and sisters who, in the face of every piece of evidence, still resist climate change, in the face of every piece of evidence, still talk about intelligent design, and there'll be that deepening, sort of grabbing on out of anxiety to change and it will be a time of conflict. Maybe that's the tribulation, the battle through which all of creation will have to pass before we can see each other together and know most profoundly that there is no hope or salvation for me unless there is also hope and salvation for you. We will have to pass before seeing salvation as a cosmic wholeness around what John calls the throne of God or whatever image surpasses that one in time. It's a beautiful thing that we're living into. It's going to be creative and magnificent and gorgeous. But in our customary silence, I invite you to pray that you can be and remain open in a season of great change, that it may be great creative change in our lives. And maybe my leaving will symbolize or crystallize it in some ways, but the future will be different. And I think maybe in our silence you might pray that you can be open, or at least that you not be defeated in a time of trial. In silence and in response to a magnificent gospel, let us pray.